Yeah, if you're not awake now, I don't know what will help you. Um, I'm glad you're here at Waypoint today. And if you can't tell, it's a little different today. Uh, and we're actually going to do a Passover meal, although I'm going to tell you right now, it's, it's not exactly what you would experience in a Jewish home. Uh, the Passover meal that you would do in a Jewish home takes three to four hours long. We're going to try to keep this to an hour, so we're going to do some highlights. We're going to do some things like that. But this works really well if you're at tables with other people. So if you're watching and you're kind of hanging on the outskirts or you're at a table by yourself, I would move to a table with somebody else because that's what we're going to, we got to get going and just do this. So there'll be some music later on um, that's a part of Passover that we'll do. Um, but if you can make your way to a table where some people are, then we're going to get started and that's where we're headed. Okay, does everybody understand? Hey, let's pray with each other before we get started and then we'll let you move around and fall in place and we'll go from there. All right, let's pray. Uh, God, we're excited about Easter and uh, what it means for our lives, what you did as you paid a price for us. And this uh, Passover meal is a lead up to that. It's to get our minds right. It's to help us start thinking about what you did and the sacrifice that you made. Uh, God, there's a lot of symbolism in this, so I ask that you would help us to have our, our minds open uh, to grasping what it's about so that it's not just an experience to have, but it's an, um, something that we can do to honor you. Uh, we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I, my wife will be joining me. Hi. Oh, uh, yeah. She has a mic, and that's a problem. Um, okay. Uh, I want to start by just helping you understand um, why we're doing this. Waypoint doesn't do a lot of traditional things. We, we have some, like we have a candlelight service that we do. We have communion. One of the reasons we don't do a lot of traditional things is what happens uh, when you repeat something often is people become dull to the meeting. It just becomes something that you do instead of understanding that there's all kinds of layers of meaning. I, I think some of that traditional stuff is actually pretty incredible. When you understand the layers and the context to it, it's worth doing. It's worth remembering um, as a trigger. And this meal that we're going to do here is one of those things that God actually instituted for the nation of Israel. It, this has been going on for 3,500 or more years. This is how long this meal has been around. And, uh, and I want you to understand the history of it and then um, understand that it really isn't just about Israel. It's about you and me. So to give you a little backstory, uh, Israel had gone down to Egypt with Joseph. And the Pharaoh had forgotten how good Joseph's family had been. A new Pharaoh had come along. And they were enslaved. And they began to uh, be used as hard labor for Pharaoh. And they were there for 400 years. Very little hope on their minds. In fact, um, they kind of forgot that maybe God even cared about them. And God goes to Moses and says, I want you to go and set my people free. And uh, this is going to be a hard thing to do because in Egyptian culture, there were many gods. One of them happened to be Pharaoh. They believed he was a god. And so um, he had this kind of sense of, nobody tells me what to do. I, like, 
You can make requests, but if I don't want you to do it, I'm not going to have you do it. So Moses marches in and says, I want you to free my people. I want you to let them go. He refuses, and then, then God starts a whole series of plagues. The first one he does is he turns um, water into blood. Now, if you were looking to get some drink that day, you didn't find it. Everywhere you would have found fresh water, you would have found bloody water. So I, I don't know how long this went on. I imagine it was a 24-hour period of time where everybody was miserable. Everybody. After that, he moves on to the second plague, and I don't know why it just jumped out of my head. Um, frogs. Oh, yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Okay, so you have now all of these places where you would go to get fresh water, but now it's got frogs in it, including your bed, including your home, including everywhere you would look, frogs. They're just swarming everywhere. Everybody in Egypt has this problem, followed by gnats. Have you ever had them in your nose, in your eye, buzzing around you all the time? 24 hours of that. Imagine that they're just everywhere, and this is impacting everyone. Now listen, if you're an Israelite, you have to be thinking, this God is powerful, but I don't know if I can follow him because he's messing with us as much as he's messing with them. Like, this freedom that he's offering is really painful. And then something dramatic happens. This happens in Exodus chapter 8, verse 22. But on that day... I will, this is day four of plague four. I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, which is where his people lived. No swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. And there were flies everywhere except with the Israelites. They didn't experience any of that. When cattle started to die on the next plague, the Egyptians' cattle died, but the Israelites' cattle they stayed alive. They were just fine. Then there were boils. Like, th these are painful, horrible things that kind of swell up on your body, and all of Egypt have it. How would you console your kid if your body's full of them too? Everybody's miserable, except for the children of Israel. They don't have anything. Hail falls, starts to mess with crops, not in Goshen. Locusts come and eat the rest that wasn't damaged by the hail. Not in Goshen. They're protected. Darkness falls on the land. You, you, it's so dark, it's so thick, you can't see. It paralyzes the whole country, except in Goshen. Like, they're moving around like life is normal, and it's not a big deal. But Pharaoh refuses. Pharaoh refuses to let the people go, so God moves on to the tenth and final plague, and it is by far the worst. Somebody's going to die. And here's what's odd. See, we know God has the power to differentiate. This could have just been for the Egyptians, but instead of just being for the Egyptians, this is for everybody Everybody's going to face this. Why would God do that? If he's capable of just saying this is just for the Egyptians, why? Why is he brought in this? By the way, I don't know if you noticed on those slides, but on the bottom of every one of those slides, 
there was an Egyptian god that was related to the, to the plague that was going on. There was a god that had power in that area, and they kind of dominated, and God was showing, your god doesn't have any power. They would stop me if they could, but they can't. And the last plague was targeted to Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh, if you were a god, you would not let your firstborn son die. But God says, it's not just Pharaoh that's going to face this. It's everyone. Why does he do this? Because God has pictures and images in mind. It's how he teaches. Most of these people were not literate. They had to have examples of things that they could remember and think about. And so God creates this meal that we're about to partake of as part of this death angel that's going to come. They would have to go and get a lamb or a goat. They would have to take that blood. They would have to put it on the doorposts of their home. They would have to be inside their home where they would be protected as they did this. And that sacrifice of blood would be their protection. And, and God is doing this as an example of what? Well, it, um, what I think is fascinating is, in my opinion, you will find throughout this whole Passover meal, Jesus everywhere. You'll see the story of Jesus everywhere. Most of the Jewish families who practice this meal don't. They, they, um, they don't understand that the door being covered by the blood in the shape of a cross has some meaning. They don't understand the lamb and how that's significant because Jesus was a lamb. All of that stuff kind of goes by the wayside. But Jesus is preparing this meal that's going to be very symbolic. And there's all kinds of symbolism. Uh, Tracy's got some right out of the text. So if you have a Bible, because of 
a perfect lamb or goat's blood over the door where he would pass over and they would pass through as they left Egypt. They would celebrate that freedom for generations. What's so cool is that this plan actually reaches to us because this plan is a larger scale rescue to come. A perfect man would live among us. A follower of Jesus would get close to him. They would see him. They would hear him laughing. They would hear him speaking and talking and crying. They would smell him. They would smell the sweat and the salt from the sea. And they would touch him. And then he would be sacrificed. And his blood protects us from death. And we get to experience the exodus from our sin and the freedom and the living hope that's going to be within us because Jesus was our sacrificial man. So today, we sit at this table as we explain symbols. And next week, we'll talk about Easter, where it's freedom for our soul. But this week, we're talking about Passover, which is freedom coming to a people who, like Blair said, were slaves for 400 years. And I wonder if they thought, Thank you, honey. You heard it, right? I want the tape of this. I want it. We can erase parts of it. Hey, um, some of this meal is very symbolic, and uh, so we're going to do the symbolism, but then we're going to turn it into something meaningful. If you have Q-tips on your table, everybody should. Take one of those, pass it around to everybody on the table. Um, what this represents is that in an Orthodox Jewish home, they would not even practice this meal unless there was a thorough cleaning. Uh, David, could you bring up some more lights? I want to be able to see people a little bit better. Um, there, I like that better. Um, there would have to be a thorough cleaning of the house. In fact, in some places, you have to get your house certified by a rabbi who comes and inspects your house to make sure that it's actually clean. So they clean their house with Q-tips and toothpicks looking for one thing, leaven. Uh, leaven in the scriptures was this thing, um, you know it makes your bread rise, but it's yeast, and it's, it symbolizes sin in the scriptures. And so they would clean their house as thoroughly as they could to get rid of yeast. So here's what we're gonna do. I want you to get intense with your little toothpick and start cleaning up your table in your area for a little bit, uh, Q-tip, yeah, same thing. Rip off the Q-tip, it's a toothpick, right? And then once you've done that, 
I want you to take that kind of energy that you just used, like I'm going to get this place clean, I'm really going to go for it, I'm going to get nitpicky, and I want you to turn this inward. And I want you to just stop for a second and ask yourself, is there anything I need to confess before God to clean up my house this morning? Before I set myself before him, is there anything? So I'm just going to give you 30 seconds to quiet your hearts, bow your heads, and just do an inventory. Is there anything that you need to take care of between you and God right now? Okay, great. If the home is cleaned, um, the meal would be prepared. It would look very much like what you have here, except they would actually have a whole lot of food. And then the Passover would start with a woman. It's going to have to be Luis. Yeah, if you're just one of the women, go ahead and stand and find the matches. Yeah, find the matches and then please kindly um, light your candles. That would be awesome. We're going to start this meal by ushering in some lights. Um, once it's lit, we want you to stay standing. Yes. How are you? Okay, I need a guy at the table, any guy to stand up and pick up the first cup. Please don't drink it. You're just going to hold it for right now. We have two prayers to do over it. The meal starts with the lighting of candles and the blessing over the first cup. And this cup is about Thanksgiving. It's actually Kaddish is the name. And it was because God had promised to save them out of slavery. And so they were thankful for this. So, um, guys, we're going to start with the first prayer. You're, it's going to be on the screen, and you're going to um, say it with me. Blessed are you, Lord our God, 
king of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. And uh, because we're remembering our freedom from slavery and our gratefulness that God has brought us to this place and sustained us, we would do this prayer. Blessed are you, Lord our God, king of the universe, who has kept us in life, sustained us, and enabled us to reach this season. So here's what we want you to do. Um, we want you to take this cup. There's little ones in front of everybody. You're going to go ahead and share this cup with everybody at your table. Once everybody has some juice, then you're going to drink it together. And then I want you to tell each other um, this. What has God done for you in the last year that has blessed you, sustained you, allowed you to make it to this season right now? And have a conversation around your table about that, and then we'll interrupt with you and keep going, okay? Okay. I love hearing the chatter. Just so many stories to tell. On your table are some wet wipes. If you could go ahead and pick them up and take them and pass them out. Traditionally, you'd be asked to wash your hands in a basin of water, kind of like what I'm doing with Blair. And there may be a picture on the screen. Oh, okay, I guess there's not. So you can just look at Blair. And go ahead, once you have that wet wipe, and clean your hands. Yeah, they don't taste very good, but we want them to be dry. And then once they're dry, we'll touch the next food that you're going to eat, which is why I mentioned you want to have them dry so that you don't taste the antibacterial wipe on your hand. All right. Once they're dry, you're going to go ahead and take a piece of parsley that's on your plate or whatever green item that you have, and you're going to hold it. And this is called the carpus by the Jewish people, and it stood for life. Then on your table is a bowl of salt water. You can't see the salt, but it's a little white bowl with some water and actually has the salt. And the salt water stood for tears. Think about their life of slavery in Egypt for 400 years where they didn't get to choose what they did. From sunup to sundown, they worked. Toil, dirty hands, pain, all for someone else. They were trapped, just like we're trapped by our sin. From sunup to sundown, we fight against it. Sometimes our life is drowned with hard work, hard times, and tears. The hand washing shows that they were actually free to stop working and clean their hands. So they took this carpus and they dipped it twice into the bowl of the salt water to remember that new life came through tears. Today, we actually are clean through Jesus washing our hearts. Our new life in Jesus comes through tears because of his death. So we're going to go ahead and dip this parsley twice and then eat it. The fun part of parsley is now you get to check each other's teeth. It's going to be fun. Um, the next part of the meal is done by the youngest person at the table. Identify the youngest person at the table. <laughs> they may have difficulty, but you can give it a shot. All right. Uh, there, is, there is some matzo bread. It's folded up in some, a white napkin just like this on your table. 
there's three different pieces. We want the person who you've identified as the youngest to find the middle piece, to break it in half, go ahead and put everything back where it was except for that one half they can keep and put on their plate. So they'll keep that. This is called the afikomen. Why don't you try to pronounce that with me? Afikomen, ready? Afikomen. Nobody has any idea when this started. I suspect that it happened sometime after Jesus because of all the symbolism that it carries. But the youngest person takes, breaks the middle piece and hides it. It'll come into play later on in the meal. That's all you'll need to know for right now. Um, but that's, uh, that's this part of the meal. Now the story of the Passover will be told. One person would begin with a recitation, and since this is not a traditional Passover, I'd like to invite you to read with me the words that are on the screen, and we're going to begin that together. Ready? There arose in Egypt a Pharaoh who knew not of the good deeds that Joseph had done for that country. Thus he enslaved the Jews and made their lives harsh through servitude and humiliation. This, this is, is the, the basis for the Passover, Passover holiday, holiday, which, which we, we commemorate with these different rituals today. So the youngest at your table who can speak would ask four very specific questions about the Passover meal. So the youngest person who can talk, once you know who that is, if you could kindly repeat the questions on the screen with me, that would be great. Are you ready? Let's go. Why is this night different from all other nights? Number one, on all other nights, we eat either bread or matzah. On this night, why only matzah? Two, on all other nights, we eat herbs or vegetables of any kind. On this night, why bitter herbs? On all other nights, we do not even dip once. On this night, why do we dip twice? And four, on all other nights, we eat our meals in any manner. On this night, why do we sit around the table together in a reclining position? Uh, these four questions are triggered because the answers to them are that important. And they'll talk about these four for sure at the meal. We're gonna let you do that. Underneath the plate is a little piece of paper. If you could pull that out, you have an answer to one of the questions. The main, the main, the main plate, sorry, confused you there. Um, somebody can read off, like this answer to number one, two, three, or four, read off, and then it has a few questions, and we're going to let you talk about it. So they're going to give you the answer that would be given at the Passover meal with that family around their home, and then there's some questions that you guys can discuss. So go ahead and do that. If you want to put a little music in the background, Brian, I think that's fine too. Okay, you're doing really good, but we've got to keep this moving along. Um, the storytelling part, and we have more to do, the storytelling part of just telling the Passover would probably take close to an hour because they want to remember details. Uh, one of the parts that they would do together is a reading. Uh, they would all have booklets, that sort of thing. We're going to put it on the screen, and I'm going to ask you to read this together, okay? This is something the whole family would do. We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and God brought us out with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. And if God had not brought our ancestors out of Egypt, we and our children and our children's children would still be subjected 
to Pharaoh in Egypt. Even if we are old and wise and learned in Torah, we would still be commanded to tell the story of Exodus from Egypt. And the more we talk about the Exodus from Egypt, the more praiseworthy we are. So I'd like to invite you to just close your eyes for a minute, and I'm going to read this as if I'm saying it over your soul today. And I'd like you to think about you saying it over your own soul and taking it in and just thinking about this. I was a slave held by sin. God rescued me with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. If God had not brought me out of sin, me and my children and my children's children would have no hope. We would all be owned by sin. Even if I've followed Jesus for years and I'm wise and I've studied my Bible and I come to church, I would still find it necessary to remember my freedom from sin. And the more I would talk about forgiveness and the freedom that Jesus gave me from sin, the more filled with praise I would be. In Jesus' name, amen. Passover tells us the story of hope, of freedom, and God's great grace. So next, we're going to have three things on the screen that I'd like you to talk about at your tables and tell what you remember about these things and how they're significant with God's grace. We have the crossing of the Red Sea or the Reed Sea, taking of Egyptians' wealth, and how they ate the meal standing. So I'll let you go ahead and talk about that for a minute. What do you remember? What was significant with those things? Go ahead. Okay, this is the kind of stuff that would happen at the meal. They would actually have long conversations where they're kind of drawing out, having fun with each other. I took one off the list that I want to talk to you about. So one of them that they would normally have a conversation at the table with their family is about something that does not get a lot of attention. And when I did my research on it, I was actually surprised. There were a few things that I discovered that I was not aware of. Um, so I'm kind of excited to be able to share this with you. Uh, when, when they were called out of Egypt, you have to remember they did not know this God. They knew he was powerful enough to free them from Egypt, but every other ancient God was to be feared. And they weren't sure if they were walking out into the wilderness with a God who should be feared or not. But God chose to do something for them that started to change the story. It says this in Exodus 13, 21. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night, a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. They're putting tracks between themselves and Egypt, and they could even travel at night because the pillar of fire was lighting the way so that they could travel. Verse 22 says, Neither the pillar cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. He was there, constantly present, guiding them. Are you aware that that pillar of cloud and pillar of fire was with them for 40 years? It did not leave them the whole time they were in the desert, giving guidance, comfort, because he was present with them. There's only a few recorded times that that pillar ever left the front of Israel. Let me, let me tell you what those are because it's pretty cool. One of those happened in Exodus 14. 
Egypt has decided, we want you back as slaves. So they're pursuing with chariots. And Exodus um, 14, 19 says, Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind him, behind them. So God's army that we can't see, that's out there fighting for our benefit, actually moved from the front of the pack to the back of the pack. And the scriptures record that the cloud did the same thing too. It actually moved to the back to provide protection and security. So it kind of, kind of built a, a shield and protection. And then this happened. I don't know if you're aware of this or not. I think this is pretty cool. Verse 20, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel, through the night the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other, so that neither went, on, um, neither went near the other all night long. They crossed the Red Sea, the Reed Sea, in the evening being lit by the pillar of fire. And on the other side of that, they were in complete darkness and couldn't figure out how to get to Israel. God did that with this, with this sense of security. So that's one of the times that he did that. He gave them a sense of security. He's lighting their path. He's doing all of that. There's only two other times that he moved out from the lead pack. One of those was when he would settle at the tent of meeting. They had a place where Moses would go and meet with God. And when the cloud would come and hover over that tent, the, Israel wouldn't go anywhere. They would rest. And when, when it get up and move, they would move and they would follow. So they were being trained to follow God, which is pretty cool. But it looks like it also moved for another reason I wasn't aware of. I think this is pretty cool. Um, Ban, I'm going to need your help in just a second. So if you could take your places, that would be great. The cloud did this as well. This is Psalm 105, 39. He spread the cloud out as a covering. In, no, in Numbers 10, 34, the cloud of the Lord was over them by day. These people were walking in a desert. I've seen this desert. It's, there's nothing there. It's a lot of dirt and rocks. And like every other desert around the world, it has very little shade of any kind, including clouds. There's not very many clouds that develop over deserts. God gave them clouds that would actually protect them from the heat. Yes, they disobeyed. They earned 40 years in the wilderness, but he did not abandon them. He continued to show them love. So with this cloud alone, he says, I'm going to guide you. I'm going to be present. With this cloud alone, he said, I'm going to be a sense of security for you, and I'm going to cover you. What I love about that is it's the same kind of story that we have now with Jesus, who covers us, who is our protection, who would lead us if we would follow. As part of the Passover meal, there would be some music and I think this is an appropriate time for us to sing. So would you stand and join our band as we sing? As an example of God's relentless love, there's a reading that they would do in this meal. And Tracy and I want to do that for you. If God would have taken us out of Egypt and not executed judgment upon us, it would have been enough for us. If he would have executed judgment upon them and not upon their idols, it would have been enough for us. If he would have judged their idols and not killed their firstborn, it would have been enough for us. 
If he would have killed their firstborn and not given us their wealth, it would have been enough for us. If he would have given us their wealth and not split the sea for us, it would have been enough for us. If he would have split the sea for us and not let us through on dry ground, it would have been enough for us. If he would have let us through on dry ground and not drowned our enemies in it, it would have been enough for us. If they would have drowned our enemies in it and not provided for our needs for 40 years, it would have been enough for us. This is God's relentless love in action. It's the same love that you're singing about. I hope you'll keep singing strong. He is so good. His love is so relentless. It's shown in the Passover story, just like the story of the cloud that Blair shared with us. And they would remember stories, just like we did in the middle of the song. It would have been enough for us. There'd be specific things to cover and natural interactions that would take place. And they would sing, just like you sang. So we'd like to invite you to sing another song and remember. He came for us. He rescued us, and Let we get seated. to tell that story. So if you would just be seated, please, that would be great. Now at the Seder meal, the story winding starts to, um, story telling starts to wind down. They would turn to some items on their plate. You can see there's a bone, a pretend shank bone here. That represents the sacrifice of the one who gave its blood so that they could be spared. They had a sheep or a goat, but for us we have Jesus, our sacrifice, who gave his blood to spare us and protect us from eternal death. Then they would point out the matzah, the bread, to remind everyone that the people had to hurry. In order to make the bread, they had no time to wait for the yeast to rise. It reminds us, don't drag your feet in considering your need for God. Then there's the mara, that little white stuff in the middle of, on the side of your plate. It was mentioned in the first Passover, and it's so recall the pain and the suffering that they endured as slaves. And for us, it's a perfect picture of how hard life is today. It's full of pain and suffering. We can't escape it. It's in our homes, in our community. I think of the tornado that came the other day in our state, in our world. We hear it all around us. After explaining the items on the plate, there would be a couple things that would be said in the home. This is one of them. Tradition teaches us that we are to look upon ourselves as having personally fled from Egypt. This wasn't a story about somebody else. This is my story. This is easier for us because our story has been that we were rescued by Jesus from sin. They would then say, it's our duty to thank the one who performed this miracle, which would bring them to the second cup. So we're all going to say um, a prayer over the second cup together. It's going to be on the screen. Are you ready? Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. This one was to recall that God personally rescued them. It wasn't about somebody else. It was about them. So I want you to take and pass that second cup around. Once everybody has some in their little cup, then you'll drink it together and remember that God rescued you, not us, not the world, you. All right. Now we're going to enter a time of thankfulness. So if somebody would please take the top piece of matzah 
We're going to pray a prayer on the screen together. Ready? Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his laws and commanded us to eat matzah. All right, if you would please pass the matzah to everyone and break a piece off and just wait for a minute, that'd be great. What comes next is a reminder of sin or slavery, the mara or the bitter herb, that's that white floppy stuff. Despite pain, a blessing is actually said over the mara, and we're going to say it together. Blessed are you. Ready? Okay. Ready? Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, universe who, has who has sanctified us with his laws and commanded us to eat bitter, bitter herbs. herbs. What? He commanded us to eat bitter herbs? And he, they blessed it. Like, he wants us to bless times of pain? Yes. And yes. For both bring us on our knees before the one on the cross. We seek him. We seek courage for the pain. So go ahead and take some of the matzah, and, or no, take some mara yeah. and put it on your matzah and hold it real, real nicely. Yeah, so don't, don't eat drop it, yet. it Yeah, don't eat it. Don't no, eat it yet. yet. Just hold it. Hold it. Yeah, I just saw someone smelling it. You can smell it. Ooh, it's strong. Oh, I got good stuff. Ay, ay, ay. Some of you who have been with us okay. a while know what happens next because we do not get to choose our suffering and pain and bitterness in life. We are passing it to the person on your left. Yeah. And they're going to eat the pain and suffering that you just indicted on them. Go ahead and eat that. Yep. Why don't you pass the one to your left? Go ahead and eat it. Mm. Uh oh. <laughs> I hear it. <laughs> this stuff burns your nose. Just so you understand, what you're yeah. tasting right now is slavery and sin. Oh. That, <laughs> like that. Oh, my. Sorry. Uh, don't worry. There's some relief on the way. Uh, get out the bottom piece of matzah, the last part of the matzah. Get that out. Pass that around to everybody at your table. Everybody break off a piece. You want to make this one just maybe a little bit bigger. And this is actually, um, you're going to find this cherisot. There's an apple, raisin, cinnamon mixture. And you're going to put that on your matzah. Um, and this was a reminder that bitterness grows sweet when being rescued by God draws near. So in the, the, despite the fact that you have all of this bitterness, now you're going to get to um, do something sweet here. So go ahead and put some of that cherisot on. And I would put a lot of that on there because it will calm the flavor of the horseradish. And you can eat that. It has the shape and texture to remind them of mortar. So, and yet, it's sweet too because God's salvation came. All right. As you're ready, if someone would kindly locate the egg in the middle of your table. This was added in 70 AD, and who remembers what was significant in Israel's history at that time? 
Yes, Rome destroyed the temple, so their place to sacrifice was no longer in existence. The color of the brown egg stood for a burnt offering, which they would have made, and it's actually going to be divided among every table. And it's the second item that's dipped in the salt water. It's an expression of sadness because they can no longer sacrifice the place that they were used to before Christ, or before God, sorry. And I wonder if the early Christian Jews who would have known Jesus would have talked about not needing to sacrifice anymore in the temple. They had their sacrifice Jesus. But today it's still a part of modern Passover because they're waiting for him. So go ahead, if you can, divide up that egg. There's a knife on the table. You yep, can there's find. a knife on the table. You also have a fork if that's easier to eat. I dip it in the salt water and then eat it. Because for us today, for you and me, we can be thankful that we don't have to find a lamb to bring into our house that doesn't have a defect. We don't have to care for it, smell it, feed it, play with it, and then sacrifice it. Jesus, our lamb, died for us. Okay, after you've um, eaten the egg, we've done several things. I think we've taken care of the plate mostly. Uh, there would be a big meal, and the, the meal itself would go on for an hour long. People were just sitting around having a good time. They would eat some lamb. They would have just a kind of fun, festive moment. As the meal would wind down, they would ask for the person, the youngest person at the table who had the afikomen, if they would return it to the table. So the person who does that, they're going to hand the um, afikomen back, and you're going to take that afikomen and pass it around the table, and everybody's going to take a piece off of it. And by the way, the youngest gets a prize for doing this. There's some candy on their table. They get the candy for keeping the afikomen, okay? Everybody was like, what is that there for? It's a prize for the return of the afikomen, all right? I don't want you to eat the afikomen yet. Everybody should have a piece of that. You can put it on your plate. I want you to be ready. Um, I think this is obvious, but I'm just going to point it out just to make sure. There are three matzahs, right? God, Son, Holy Spirit. The middle one was taken and broken and then returned. And it's actually taken as a dessert at this meal. It's, it's one of the last things that's eaten with the third cup. So we're going we're gonna to do that um, with the cup in just a minute, but we're going to let Tracy go ahead and talk about the third cup first. So at the third cup, if you would go ahead and pick that up and take it and deliver it to the cups at your table, um, we're going to take it with the final piece of matzah. There's a prayer at the end, and it's a little bit longer than some of the ones that we've been reading, so I'm going to go ahead and recite it until the last lines. After I say, let us say amen, would you please join me? And then we'll take the third cup. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sustains the entire world with goodness, grace, loving kindness, and compassion. He gives bread to all, for his grace is everlasting. And in his great goodness, we have never lacked for anything, and we will never be deprived of food for the sake of his great name. For he is God who provides for all, and does good for all, and prepares food for all his creatures that he created. Blessed are you, Lord, who provides for us all. God and God of our ancestors, may you remember us on this day of Passover to bless us with kindness and mercy for a life of peace and happiness. 
We pray that he establishes peace in the heavens, grant peace for all of us, for all of Israel, for all of mankind. Let us say amen. And together we do this prayer. Blessed are, are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. This third cup commemorates peace. And they would, uh, they would not do this in a Jewish home but I want you to take that third cup um, because we have gotten peace. And I want you to take it with the afikomen, God's son, his body broken for you, his blood shed for you. Will you take communion now? <clears throat> the third cup was a cup of peace, but it was also a cup of praise. And as the meal would end, there would be more singing. Um, we're, we're not gonna do that. I just wanna note one thing. If um, the meal's over and there's four cups of juice on your table and one of them is gonna be left unused. In a traditional Jewish home, they would they understood that that cup was for Elijah because they believed that their Messiah had not returned yet. And so they would actually leave a chair open and a cup and um, in anticipation waiting, hoping that someday their Messiah would come. We do, not have, we do not have that that we carry. We know Jesus, our Messiah, has come. We're not waiting. We're not anticipating. The only reason you might be waiting is if you're waiting to make a decision whether you'll follow him or not. Because if you haven't done that, then you're waiting for a Messiah as well. And you don't need to. Jesus, who loves you, saw the sin that we piled up in our lives and rescued us. And uh, we're about to celebrate that in a week, that he went to the cross, he came back to life, he beat sin and death on our behalf. And this meal is a reminder of all of those things. And that last cup is a reminder that that is not our, that is not our state of being. We are free. We've been granted hope. We've been rescued. Why don't I pray with us real quick? God, so grateful that Thousands of years ago, you created um, a little celebration where we could remember just how good you were. You were good to Israel, but this theme of saving them from slavery, saving them from sin, is our story. You rescued us. You, you gave us hope. And I ask as we prepare for Easter that we would remember how good you are that would remember the stories of the Passover and how you found a way to communicate to people that you love them, you're going to cover them, that your love was relentless. God, that's our story too. I ask that um, we would carry that as we go through our week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for coming. Um, I hope you come next week. It's going to be our Easter celebration. We've got a lot of great stuff planned. Thanks again. Uh, if you could blow out your candle, I would really appreciate it. Thanks.